This episode is brought to you by Mr. Andersonville himself, Olin Ergel, a local real estate advisor with App Properties. If you're looking for an honest and experienced advisor who knows and loves this neighborhood, Olin is the one to contact. Visit MrAndersonville.com to learn more about Olin and connect with him for an initial real estate consultation. Also during this month, follow him on Instagram at Mr.Andersonville and be entered into a raffle for a new Nest thermostat. Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Joelle. Today, we are joined by local Andersonville residents, Todd Gans and Stephanie Young, creators of the new podcast, If the Walls Could Talk. The podcast centers around the often mysterious history of local Edgewater Hospital, which opened in 1929. The campus was formerly located at 5700 North Ashland and is known for being the birthplace of Hillary Clinton. The Edgewater Hospital and Medical Center closed abruptly in 2001 and has been decaying for decades before recent redevelopment into multi-unit apartments. For true crime fans, history buffs, curious locals, and beyond, If the Walls Could Talk dives into the fraught history of this iconic institution, the people who ran it well, and the people who ran it into the ground. The podcast debuted on Sunday, January 10th, and the first three episodes are streaming now. So welcome, Todd and Stephanie. How are you all today? I'm I'm great. (laughs) Awesome. Um, Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And although Laura and I have collaborated with other podcasts in the past, you're our first podcast host that we've ever had the privilege to interview on this platform and your local residents at that, correct? That's true. I, I moved into the area in 2007. And I've been here for just about a year, but I lived in Lakeview before and you know, I've been hanging out with Todd for a while, so spent lots of time in Andersonville. <laughs> well, it's a great place to definitely hunker down and and learn about and and work through all of I'm sure the the massive amount of work to put together this this podcast. So, can you start by telling us a bit about each of your backgrounds and how you got involved in this industry? So, I am a radio veteran. I started at 18. Um, as an intern and somehow managed to stay there for 24 years um, through a series of ownership changes and format flips. And I've got a whole closet full of t-shirts of old logos that no longer exist. But um, yeah, that was the majority of my my career until May of 2020, when myself and 12 others were eliminated or jobs were eliminated. And um, we were kind of working on this podcast on the side, and it kind of became our full-time jobs. I started in radio when I was 16 in Danville, Illinois, so like central Illinois. Moved to Phoenix, worked at a station there for about six years, and then was on a radio station in Chicago for about 10 years. I left this past summer, and I've been doing podcasts on the side for a few years, I had one a couple of years ago called Bougie and Broke, and it was about how millennials spent their money. It's no longer active, but did that for about six months. And now I produce another podcast about women working in sports. And then Todd and I are working on this one, obviously. (laughs) And Stephanie has a connection to a baseball team in the city. I did work for the Chicago Cubs for about five years. And what did you do for them? I worked in the fan service department, so it was ticket sales and 
customer service, really. I'm sure you have some stories there, but. I have stories for days. The best one being that I left in July of 2016 and did not get a World Series ring. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, but who knew? (laughs) I mean, they were headed on that path, but. So um, how did the idea for If the Walls Could Talk come about? You know, we used to kind of make, uh, I'm an old man at heart, so we would always take long walks around the neighborhood, and it had to always include walking around the old hospital. And Stephanie was adamant that we not, you know, go around there because it was creepy at first for her. Um, But I was interested in its history and its backstory, and through reading neighborhood blogs and DNA info when it was around, really kind of clued me into what was happening there. And we were walking one day and I told her, I said, you know, I can't believe with all the documentaries out there that I've seen, good and bad, that no one's done a story about this place. Like the history is crazy. And then Stephanie kind of had the epiphany. I was like, why don't you do it? (laughs) I was like, why don't you do a podcast about this? And, you know, we just started talking about it and it's been at the end of our block for, you know, as long as we've been talking And like Todd mentioned, we used to just take walks around it and see the progress of the demolition and what was going on. And it was just kind of a no brainer. And I think that not having any video or a lot of photographs from the whole process from when it closed to now was a reason we didn't want to do anything with major video that a podcast made more sense. Yeah, the story is certainly there's there's a lot to be told, but the visual aspect um, it, it is almost as great. And we've been very fortunate to have worked with and met people along the way who had a, a catalog of photos, young and old, from the black and white days to you know more current days, people who broke in and are responsible for all those pictures you'll see online when you Google Edgewater Hospital. And we were most surprised these people, they didn't go in there to trash the place. They went in there to to take pictures and um, their whole thing was, you know, we're here to preserve history and take pictures and they do that and they'd leave. Um, I'm sure there's another group who don't do that, but all the ones we met um, along the way, we were just shocked by their stories and, and kind of their whole thought process on why they're doing what they're doing. And we're very fortunate that they shared all of their material with us so that we could share it with the podcast. Yeah, and that's actually a good segue for this next question. So I know you've sort of dropped hints in some of the teasers on the podcast, right, that this project has been in the works for quite a long time. So what is the length of time that you've sort of been developing this and what have been the hiccups due to COVID? Um, I even heard you mention at one point, I believe you said there's been over 100 interviews for the whole process. So that's got to be a lot. Like, where did you start and, and how long has this been in development? We started this project, I believe it was August of 2019. That was when that walk around the old hospital and kind of decision was made that we were going to work on this. Yeah, we grabbed a notepad and went to the old Stone Fox and their little outdoor seating area there and just started sketching like, if we were to do this, what would it look like? How many episodes? And we thought maybe four or five. And then it grew and grew and grew. And now it's about 13 Um, so yeah, the idea was probably the hardest part was that we were doing it on nights and weekends. We had full-time jobs and when we would schedule interviews from like 5.15 
till sometimes nine o'clock at night in like 30 minute increments and then would go home exhausted and do it all over again, you know, a couple times a week. And it, it was a full-time job in sense that, you know, the amount of time commitment. And then when we both were laid off last spring, it was like, well, we always joke that, boy, wouldn't this be great if it was our full-time job? Now it is. And I guess that the hiccup from COVID would obviously be that we aren't recording in a radio studio anymore. So recording at home has been kind of a challenge. But other than that, it's been really nice to have the time to go through everything, make sure that we've exhausted every route for interviews. Um, so the the extra time has actually been on our side with this project. And the fact that everybody's now comfortable with Zoom and doing things on the phone has helped us. A lot of lawyers and people we talked to who were very difficult to get in touch with because of their schedules. And very were, busy. And busy. And they were their time freed up. And we happened to catch a lot of them this summer who were like, oh, my God, why do you want to talk about that story? But sure. And, you know, an hour and a half later, our minds are just, you know, spinning with all the things we've learned. But, yeah, we had a stack of paper at one point in the living room that was like the, the height of a wine bottle. Uh, it was legal papers. It was newspaper articles, stuff that we had printed off that we Notes wanted to get interviews. to. Right. Things that we wanted to get to that we finally got to over the summer because we're all inside and that's really all we had going on. And, you know, how did you go about tracking some of the former employees down? What was the process like to kind of put that interview list together? Facebook. <laughs> I can't say it enough. We joined so many different Facebook groups, um, Forgotten Chicago, Original Chicago, Andersonville groups, and just started asking people. You know, did you work at Edgewater? If you did and have a story, here's my contact information. So that was probably where the main source came from. And then they would tell their friends and their friends would contact us. And yeah, we, we also, I mean, there was one time Stephanie's just phone went off one day and she's like, you know, who is this? And this guy's like, oh, I found your number on a Flickr page. Someone said, you know, you were doing this podcast. So we kind of laughed and said, wow, your number's all over the internet. That's cool. <laughs> But there, there's at one point Edgewater Hospital. I mean, they employed even in the early '80s, like 2,000 people there. So it's like everyone at some point worked at this hospital back in the day. So it kind of became like a yeah, tell a friend, and if you know someone, let us know. Um, but the challenge, I think, was there were so many people who had the most common names that when I would reach out to them or call them, and I'd be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But, you know, they'd have this basic name that there were like 18 people in Chicago with that. But those were some of some of the struggles, but also made for good stories where you're like, sorry, <laughs> wrong person. And you're like, but if you want to know what we're doing, while right. <laughs> well, I got you on the phone, listening <laughs> yeah. when this launches, exactly. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, the one thing obviously about us is we aren't having to do that kind of like digging necessarily. Like we have a, a membership of 300 plus businesses. We're trying to get them all on here at some point, but it's always really interesting to hear sort of the process behind some of these more like narrative podcasts for sure. Um, and I know you've gotten some good press since the podcast launched on January 10th. Um, Block Club Chicago just did a big write-up. What has the response been like so far? We've been pretty impressed. We had an idea of who we thought would be interested, and I thought any former 
Edgewater employee would be interested, people in the neighborhood, especially those who lived right around the perimeter of the hospital. They were very vocal and were very eager to talk with us, and most of them have been here since the 90s, so they've seen this place for for 30 years in their backyard. Um, And we were kind of overwhelmed by people we've worked with 20 years ago or... (laughs) You know, Stephanie, in her case, old bosses reaching out from when she was a teenager saying, hey, I heard this podcast. Yeah. And I think it was the Friday morning after the podcast release. I had a friend text me and say, they were just talking about you on WGN radio in your podcast. And I was like, it's I told Todd, I said, it's so crazy. Both of us have been on the radio for so long, (laughs) but it's still so much cooler when someone else is saying your name, not you. (laughs) Yeah. Especially Bob Surratt, a a guy my mom listened to growing up in Chicago. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. So if Walls Could Talk is funded by backers on the platform Patreon, for those listening who aren't familiar, can you tell us a little bit about Patreon and the special bonus content available to those that subscribe? Yeah, Patreon is a platform where you can subscribe to support content creators. So the actual podcast, If the Walls Could Talk, is available on all podcast platforms. The story is free. But if you're kind of a super fan and want to know a little bit more, you can become a Patreon subscriber for $10 a month. And every week on Tuesday, after the episode comes out on Sunday, we do an episode called Second Opinion. And Second Opinion is kind of where Todd and I get to take off our narrator hats and tell the stories behind the stories the stories of how we got these interviews, the story of how we got in a car chase with one of the main players in Indiana. Uh, I mean, the stories go on and on. So if you like the story and you kind of want to know how it was made and know a little bit of kind of secret behind the scenes content, you can subscribe to our Patreon. We were fortunate that early on, we just would record a lot of our candid conversations you know, when we were trying to come up with a name, for example, we had about a, a page and a half of names that we thought we'd use. And then randomly, we're standing in front of the hospital one night, and this tour group comes by. It was like this this Chicago group where they do tours for Chicagoans. And I thought, well, this is kind of funny. And they're like, oh, yeah, this is the end of our tour. We will always walk them by this abandoned, creepy hospital. So they <laughs> asked us what we were doing. We said a podcast. And then they asked the name. We told them the name. And they were like huh and so it was just a working title at that point and obviously we scrapped it because the response was like crickets (laughs) a shout out yeah that's chicago for chicagoans tours yeah Mm -hmm. i do remember them always telling us because they worked with us a couple times too just for andersonville history and they always offered that at the end like hey we're gonna walk by edgewater hospital now it kind of gets a little spooky you can peel off now if you want but that's that's funny. <laughs> yeah. That's a good story. Yeah. It was one of those moments where we just kind of looked at each other and said, of course, a tour group is coming through at, while we're doing. And we were interviewing somebody who had come. He, he had taken pictures of the hospital um, back when he was like a teenager at DePaul um, and just wanted to, to talk to us about the hospital. And then this group came through. So we, we kind of laughed. We got home and we're like, another bottle of wine back to the drawing <laughs> board with this name thing. <laughs> yeah. There were times we we did interviews. We did a, quite a few with former employees and people who investigated. And we'd be on Zoom calls or Skype calls, and they would start crying. And the two of us were um, touched by that, obviously, and realized this story was so much greater than just this abandoned set of buildings at the end of our street. It was personal. It was a lot of people's first jobs. 
It was where they, they were a doctor or where they were born or their mom or dad worked or they worked. And um, it, it, it really struck us and the stories we've met and the, the personalities and characters along the way um, are unforgettable. And we kind of talk a little bit about that more in depth because we're more or less narrators in the podcast. But this is our chance really in Patreon to, to share those stories. And, um, there's, and I there's promise a... you by the end of second opinion episodes, you will hear me cry probably at least once. Yeah. Maybe twice. You heard it here first. Well, the former Edgewater Hospital campus is is now a multi-unit condo building uh, called Anderson Point, and you toured it. Um, what were your initial impressions on the space, um, and 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 about what is ha- it has ultimately become? You know, since its decay. You know, we just watched it sitting there for so many years. Um, so, what is it? What is it like to see it come and and breathe new life? I had always wanted to go into the old hospital building when it was being torn down. And Todd told me that was illegal and we would have no credibility if I went in there. So I never did. (laughs) And I wanted to go so bad. So the day that I left my radio job, I sent in my resignation email and I was like, I'm just going to walk down the street and get a pedicure so that I feel, I feel better on the way home. I saw people standing outside Anderson point or what is now Anderson point. And I went over and I just kind of started talking to him and it ended up being the developer. And he was like, do you want to come in for a minute and just see, see the new apartments before they go on the market? And I was like, yes. So I went in and he showed me around and I ran home and I told Todd, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I went in there without you, but like I had to, it was my first chance. They are really, really nice. We, I mean, I've lived in a lot of apartments in Chicago and I would absolutely live there. They are beautiful. And I don't think that if you didn't know that it was a hospital before that you would know. And we took some ghost hunters out there early on and some paranormal investigators and just said, you know, here's the backstory. And they're like, sure, it came out. And we thought for sure they're going to they're going to have all kinds of stories or whatever, if you believe in that or not. And they were like, you know this place is pretty clean. So whatever bad juju is gone. And that was always my thought, you know, would I want to live in this, these places? Then I saw them and they were incredible. I mean, the colors, the space, the light, the windows, um, and the units we saw were, were amazing. And I think like we talked with the architect and I couldn't think of a more perfect man than this guy after talking to him for this redevelopment. He, he loves that building, those buildings, and is so passionate about what they're doing there and talked about how sad he will be when this project wraps up because he feels like, you know, the building's part of him. Um, so it, it was refreshing to hear and, and to see what they've done with that space. So I know the plan is to release, you said, overall 12 episodes for If the Walls Could Talk. Um, and then I heard the last episode's a Q&A session. Uh, with listeners along the way. So do folks have to be a subscriber on Patreon in order to contribute to that Q&A or how are you currently collecting those questions? You don't have to be a subscriber on Patreon to submit a question. We we take questions through Instagram DMs, Facebook messages, our email, emc at ifthewallscouldtalkpodcast.com. If you want to find my phone number on Flickr and text me, <laughs> that's fine too. Anyone is able to ask questions for the final episode. 
Yeah, we, we we had so many questions, and I can't imagine, you know, how many people had questions who lived there and watched this thing. And that's probably been the most feedback, the most common theme is people like, I had no idea the history, both good and bad, of what on what went on there. Because for a solid 50 years, it was like the premier hospital in Chicago, and people from Hollywood were there in the 50s and 60s, and they were treated by the the doctor who co-founded it, Dr. Maisel. Um, so it was like the place for medicine um, until probably about the late 70s, early 80s. And quite frankly, there's a lot of stuff that we aren't even able to get to in the podcast. So that's another good time for people to maybe ask some questions about stuff that we don't really get in depth on in If the Walls Could Talk. And I was just going to say, do you anticipate kind of as... Um you know, as, you know, popularity in this podcast picks up and people start listening, do you, do you, do you foresee more people coming out of the shadows to, to give you their, their story? Two days before we launched, we got a very, very interesting email from somebody who was related to something, to somebody at the hospital, um, that towards the end, that it was a pivotal player. And we were at that point ready to like celebrate that episode one is done, episode two, three, four is done, and then this wrench came, um, and it was we're like we'll of, change it all. Yeah, we'll <laughs> throw it all away. There's no sleep to be had. So we do anticipate um, more. In fact, that first weekend it came out, I heard from so many people who I just assumed blew me off because of the hundred people we talked to, we probably reached out to three, four, five hundred people. Um, believe it or not. And um, a lot were like, oh, I would have participated. And it's like, well, you know, we had a year, but uh, it never got back to us. So we are certainly uh, still taking stories. And I feel like when it does wrap up, we're going to have uh, probably a, another set of episode, whether it's a bonus or something we do to just kind of tie up all those loose ends. It's it's impossible not to. So I know you had mentioned Todd at some point in one of our email correspondence too. So your production company is called Buckle Down Productions, correct? Um, where'd that name come from? <laughs> I'll let it, Todd tell this story. Yeah, it's a long <laughs> story. Um, and, and at some point, I, I'm going to regret it because it was a very much of a whim on a Saturday night where I'm like, hey, I just formed an LLC and this is the name. And she's like, did I'm you like, want to talk sorry, about what? that? <laughs> It, it 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 it's a yes it it's kind of a a, a term we we came up with um at, that would make no sense to anybody but her friend Clara said what a pretty name Buckletown so we're like yes isn't it and, th- and that's about it um but yeah our our goal was to start with this and especially with the theme the if the walls could talk it could apply to so many different things and buildings and people and places in Chicago or, or elsewhere. And I, this project obviously is very personal and became very personal. Um, but we're 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 looking towards the future as far as what will be next. I don't know yet, but so many people have lobbed ideas. Said you should look into this, this, and this, and this. And we're like, okay. So somewhere there's a list among all the uh, the stack of papers here with what we're hoping to do when this thing wraps up. I think the first thing we're hoping to do is maybe take a take a week vacation or so and decompress from an abandoned hospital for a little bit. Yeah, perhaps um, <laughs> some therapy too. <laughs> but then from there on, maybe, you know, come up with a new idea or a new project. And 
Todd and I have learned so much throughout this process. Like there's no handbook for podcasting. As you guys know, there's no website you go to that says, this is how you monetize a podcast, or this is how you get interviews. And Todd and I have just learned a lot. So we've also kind of tossed around the idea of doing kind of a true crime podcasting masterclass type of thing, because what we've learned is definitely stuff that we could share with other people. Well, I was just going to note on, you know, like the dramatic music just kind of sets the sets the perfect tone for this podcast. I, I very much enjoyed it. So and this hospital has such a crazy, crazy history that, um, you know, I lived in Andersonville for a really long time, moved into the neighborhood um, in about 2005, but never kind of looked at this in this kind of way before. But I mean, if you could give us, I guess if you could give our listeners maybe like your elevator pitch for why they should, you know, tune into an episode um, and get themselves hooked, what would that be? For me, it was a story that three times we thought this is the end of the story. And three times we were wrong. It kept going and going and going. And it, 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 it's partially about the hospital, but also about law and order. And there was a lot of lawlessness that went on there in the 90s. And even after the thing closed, and um, we, the three of us, Stephanie and I, were, were on a call with an FBI agent who worked this case over the summer, and it's probably the most lasting uh, imprint of this. We're about an hour and a half into our three-hour talk. The three of us are just crying on, on, on this call, recounting and hearing the stories and stuff that went on there, um, because, yeah, there was this fraud happening. But you also had about 700 people's jobs on the line who, for the most part, 99.9% of them were innocent. People who showed up for work and went home had no idea any of this stuff was going on. So it was, uh, there was a lot of behind the scenes stuff that went on um, legally and, and with the, the people investigating that, that led to sleepless nights and decisions that were very difficult. And when we heard all of this, which you're not going to find on Google, you're not going to find in the newspaper articles, that's, to me, what was most compelling. All right. So we do this thing. We sort of started during the COVID era on our podcast, uh, rapid fire questions for both of you. Um, if you're ready for them, we'll kind of just uh, throw out a hopefully easy one to begin with. Um, just first thing that comes to the top of your head for both of you, most surprising fact you learned about Edgewater or Andersonville as a neighborhood while you were researching this project? I would say um, it, it goes back to the celebrity aspect that they had originally was set up like a hotel. Like they wanted it to be operated and feel like you were going into a hotel, not a hospital, which is kind of why the original building looks like it's a hotel on the corner of I think that's what Hollywood and, and Ashland, they had bellhops. They had people who wore white gloves who, when you got there, would take your, your luggage up to your room. And they had rooms in the, in the hospital that were simply for people who wanted to get away from life for a while. So a lot of the Hollywood who's who's who would, who would hang out at the Edgewater Beach Hotel would then come and spend a week at the hospital. But they weren't there for medical treatment. It was just kind of like an oasis for them. Um, that to me blew my mind because imagine going, you know, to Northwestern today and there's a bellhop at the curb, you know, and, and you're going to go spend a few days. Oh, I'm just going to go hang out at Rush for a week, maybe, you know, catch my breath. I would also say how big the hospital campus actually was. 
if you didn't live here before 2001, 2002, I don't know that you knew how big that place actually was. Like all the houses that go down Edgewater to Hermitage now, all of those were built on the old parking structure. So that hospital took up that entire block. Like it was massive. And even north of the hospital, there were parking lots that are now nice homes that they created in the early 2000s. Those were all just paved parking lots back in the day. Um, so yeah, it was a massive campus. And I think it was such like a, you know, a forward thinking concept back then to kind of have it built this way, right? Because I think when, you know, not that not that I've been there, but when you hear about kind of birthing experiences in California at, at Cedar Sinai or something like that, right, where they make it, you know, a little bit more, um, you know, a, a package service package for you, right? They they want to treat you really well, um, and so and so when you hear when you you know when I was listening and hearing about the maternity ward, you know, it just it was such a, a kind of a different concept back then and it didn't really catch on. Whereas now it might, you know, it, it has like, they've put these kinds of places out there for moms. Um, but back then it, it was just a little bit too edgy for people. They yeah, were way ahead of their time. Right. I mean, we talked to this woman named Donna and coincidentally, she's from Danville, Illinois, just like me. And we went to the same high school, but Donna was a nurse there in the sixties and seventies. And she was telling us about how they started the coronary care unit, which was in essence, one of the first ambulances. And they would, if somebody was having a heart attack, they would go pick them up and care for them in this vehicle until they got to the hospital. And I mean, this was way before this was a thing. So they were on the edge of medicine pretty much the entire time Dr. Maisel was there. And somebody we interviewed also compared it to kind of Google and Apple, where they had this campus where, you know, everyone worked and lived and, and they had everything there for you. They had a beauty parlor. They had free meals three times a day. Like everybody who worked there at one time had free meals. I mean, it was kind of, again, ahead of its time. And, and now you've seen other companies adopt that same lifestyle. All right. Next rapid fire question. What is the most surprising fact you've learned about each other while working so closely on this project? Wow. <laughs> I would say that Todd and I have very different work structures. The moment something happens and it needs to be done, Todd's already done it. And I'm the type of person that I work best under pressure. So I kind of like put things off and put things off and then get it done like in a quick manner. And Todd and I are just very, very opposite. And it's a good thing because I think that he needs to kind of chill sometimes as far as the, you know, signing up for our LLC name within about five minutes. <laughs> and I could probably learn a little bit from him and not procrastinate as much, but it's been a, it's been a nice balance. There's a, a switch that, that you have to almost flip at times. And, you know, I'm, I'm more of a, a, a quiet, I listen and observe but um, in this process, we've had to wear many hats where we had to, you know, talk people into even wanting to share their stories. We had to then comfort people who shared stories and, and cried or broke down. We've, we also had to then sell the idea. We tried to get on podcast networks and sell advertising and things like that. Stuff that I have never, you know, skills I haven't used since college or even my first job out of college. So, and, and, and Stephanie... She can flip that switch very easily, 
Um, whereas me, I feel like I just turn into a car salesman um, where I just keep talking and, and like, you want to buy this car, right? Um, where she's just very natural and relaxed and um, I can just sit back and be like, all right, she's got this. We're good. All right. Ready for the next one. Um, so we're curious, um, what are your favorite podcasts? What's currently in your queue? And did any of them help inspire this project? I have three that are in my heavy rotation and they include Girls Gotta Eat, which has nothing to do with true crime. I also love Be There in Five, which is a Chicago-based content creator. And it's really just for girls probably in their 20s and 30s. It's like a pop culture podcast, but it's pretty cool that she's also based in Chicago. And then The First Degree, which is a true crime series that is about being one degree away from someone that's connected to a murder. So those would be my top three. I would say that maybe the true crime one inspired this one a little bit, but <laughs> not really. I just am a, I'm a lover of podcasts. So those three are the, the ones that I would shout out for this. <laughs> do you, so Stephanie, do you yourself, are you affiliated with someone that you know that has committed a murder? Are you one step away from a murderer? I am. And I was actually on an episode over the summer of the first degree um, when I grew up in Danville, Illinois, my next door neighbors were murdered by their grandson. It's a pretty gruesome story, but I was on, I believe it was sometime in August on the first degree. Wow. I don't know if you expected to have quite a <laughs> succinct answer to that question, but there you go. No, that's a um, very, that's a very heavy response. So we'll have to. It happened when I was nine and I'm in my thirties now. So I'm, I'm removed from it. But when I was nine, it was, it was a lot. And I talk about it on that episode of the podcast. I'm trying to figure out what episode it was. I'll look it up real quick for you guys. Well, while Stephanie's doing that, Todd, do you have your top three in your head? You know, up until probably a year or two ago, I only listened to sports podcasts. So White Sox podcasts, there's a, a Sox machine was always my favorite. Um, and then I started dabbling in, in long form interviews and I would listen to Dak Shepard's uh, podcast and it would always anger me. So I never knew why I kept going back. Um, I just always felt like he he knew all the answers. And it's like, can you not know all the answers for one stacks? So it was like my guilty pleasure. Um, but then I found one that the girl who cut my hair told me about, and I thought no one knew about this podcast called Let's Not Meet, based on Reddit stories and, and threads from Reddit of people who shared stories, scary, creepy stories of them being in situations where, with people where they're like, yeah, let's not do this again. And it's done so well because it's, it's haunting, there's some creepy music, and the guy's voice is so good. Um, it's the number one thing I always listen to when, like when we take a, a flight somewhere, I'm like, I got about five episodes here. So that's kind of my, my guilty pleasure, uh, podcast when I have the time. That episode of the first degree is from August 19th of 2020 and it's Pat and Bobby McNeely. They were my neighbors. Well, you mentioned the, um, the white Sox Todd. did that come in as a, is that a point of contention between you and the former Cubs? <laughs> I think Employee. I think we've had a, an easier time um, after 2016 when they uh, did what they did to her of of getting along with baseball teams. But yeah, my my brother was a, a Cubs fan, so automatically I became a Sox fan, and I've always rooted for the underdog, and it's just too easy to to be a Cubs fan. So 
here I am on the South side. They eliminated my position in 2016. So that departure was a little sad. I was still a Cubs fan, but it was it was hard to watch. And then, you know, my guy Len Casper is now on the South side. So maybe I'm maybe I'm creeping towards the White Sox now. I don't know. <laughs> and then, you know, for like the true crime part of it all, um, you know, what other, you know, how how have you gotten kind of interested in that component? Like, were you a, a, a fan of, you know, crime TV? I know, you know, when I had my 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 first son, um, you know, all I watched was uh, Criminal Minds. So, um, you know, what what kind of other interests do you have in that in that kind of murder world? I really got into true crime a lot more with podcasts. And while I don't have a lot of them in my heavy rotation, I still listen to a bunch. And I also watch documentaries and, (laughs) um, you know, I feel like women in their twenties and thirties and forties even right now are very attracted to true crime and whether it's Netflix or Hulu or the, um, I'll be gone in the dark, the HBO documentary about the golden state killer. That one, we watched that during quarantine and it was just fascinating. Yeah. It it was almost scary because as close as she was to that story, we, we felt like, Oh my God, is this going to be us? Like we eat, sleep and, and breathe this, this Edgewater thing. You know, we, we need to set boundaries and make sure this doesn't consume our lives. But thankfully it, it, we've, We've Too managed <laughs> to do that. Well, yes and no. We we also we're we're not trying to solve crimes like she was. We're we're kind of telling the story. And there were days where I would be on you know going through court documents, thinking I'm going to find that smoking gun that they all missed back in in 2001. And I was like, just shut this off. You know, find something else to do, Todd. Do you, does it does it ever come into your dreams at night though? Do you ever have any Edgewater Hospital nightmares? I luckily have not. However, Todd has woken up before and been like, I just had this dream last night about the podcast. And I don't know if it's technically about the hospital or if it's like the amount of work we have to get done. Yeah, it's usually an idea comes to me in the middle of the night. And, you know, you think you're going to remember it like a dream in the morning. And then I'm like, what What was that thing I wanted to do with episode five? I can't remember. Those are the sorts of panic slash dreams I have, thankfully. Um, but we talked with someone who um, he was an urban explorer who went inside the hospital for 200 times, I believe he said, over a course of a couple of years. And he talked about how he would have dreams about it and didn't want to miss going in there. And that's what ultimately pushed him. And I think some of those stories, um, it, it's one part of this, this, the Edgewater history that I think gets overlooked. And we mentioned it in the front was the urban explorers, why people went in and, and their reasoning for it. Those were the stories that I think left both of our jaws on the floor, um, especially the, the young person who told us, um, you know, why he went there and spent countless days and nights in there making artwork, which we have pictures of. Um, on the Instagram feed, you'll see pictures of clocks, and he kind of shares the story of why he did that. And, and ironically or coincidentally, reached out to Stephanie on New Year's Eve to tell him that tell her that yeah he just called and was like i just want to thank you guys for letting me tell my story i'm i'm walking by the old hospital now and i i just thought i'd check in and see how you guys are and honestly the best part of this entire project is all the people that we met doing it 
There's people that we interviewed that we'll probably stay in contact with forever. Yeah, our original thought when this thing started, Stephanie, I, I'm working on on writing it, and she's like, I'm planning the release party. I'm like, what? Can we focus on this thing here? And uh, with with COVID, that never happened, obviously, um, but we wanted to do something when, when it's all safe to be around people again, um, perhaps in the summer, just kind of a wrap party and, and get to really know these people who we, we only spoke with on Zoom calls or over the phone. Um, because uh, their stories have touched us. And so many people told us our talks kind of gave them closure because they a lot showed up to work in, in December of 2001 and were told they didn't have a job anymore. And then, you know, a lot lost their their benefits or their their last check bounced, stuff like that. And they've never really had closure and never really talked about this for almost 20 years. And then, you know, the two of us come knocking and, and some of us had some have emailed post fact and said, thank you. Um, that kind of gave me a little bit of closure. So that felt good. And, you know, you talked about, you know, having, you know, kind of being in, in kind of this, you know, position of needing to console these people that have gotten emotional and, and what has that been like to have to do that over zoom, you know, cause like if you're able to be in a room with someone and they, and they get here, you can hand them a tissue and, and all of that, but you know, has that been hard to be able to kind of comfort them in that way over the screen? It has. When the FBI agent that we spoke with broke down and all of us were on the phone crying, you know, she got up and took a minute and we all kind of took a minute and then started talking about something else and then got back into the story just to kind of give it a breather. But even five minutes after the interview, you know, Todd records in the bedroom and I'm in the living room. We're in the same house, but um, he just walked out and I was still crying. I was like hysterically crying. I'm like, that was really emotional and really hard. Yeah. We've sent a lot of wine through the mail in the mm-hmm. last few months, uh, because I'm like, this is normally where you would hug someone and put your, your hand on them and say, it's okay. Or thank you for sharing that. And we're We've dropped off know. Miller light to a senior center for someone. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. It sounds like we drive a giant white van with carpet on the side, but I promise that's not the case. We're <laughs> She was giving us pictures and we yeah. just wanted to thank her with some Miller Lite. It's her favorite beer. <laughs> yeah. No, we've made we've made so many our friends call them our internet friends. We were like, "Oh, what are you doing?" And we're like, "Oh, we're going to this kids art show. This was last February." And she's like, "Is this one of your internet friends?" We're like, "Yeah." Mm-hmm. <laughs> So yeah, we we we've tried our best and and that is tough. Like, you know, no one wants to to be asking questions that that elicit these sorts of things and the picket scabs that have healed now so many years later. Um and then, you know, we're picking at it. So it it has been a challenge and um we used to do like we said when we had jobs, we would come home after doing interviews and we both felt like we needed a shower. Because we felt listening to these stories of what was going on in the 90s there. And it was like, ugh, I just feel dirty, you know, hearing this. And it, it was it was tough at times. Um, but here we are. And on a lighter note, just because I, I can imagine, yeah, like doing that much digging, like just it leaves you feeling heavy. But it's really encouraging to hear about all the friends you've made and the ways you've been thinking people 
I was going to say, do you have any advice that you'd like to impart to podcasters who are just starting out or people who are interested in getting into the radio industry after kind of walking through this process for the last year? My biggest piece of advice would be to have a plan going into it. I, you know, I mentioned that I have done a few podcasts as a hobby, and I think that those didn't necessarily have a structured plan before we went into it. This we had cover art, we had photos taken, headshots, we had a very clear plan of how we wanted to put this out and who we wanted to interview and what we wanted to get done by what date. And I think that that is something that was really helpful in this entire process was to make sure you're doing it right, not just to do it. And what's great about podcasting, there really are no rules. There aren't. And and that's, you know, unlike TV where it has to be 22 minutes long to, to fit a 30-minute episode, there aren't any rules. And people say, why did you release your podcast on a Sunday? And my answer was, because no one else does. You know, it's like, oh, we release on, on Monday or Thursday because that's when everyone else does. So we pick Sunday. Um, and, and that's the beauty of it. And I would say my advice is not just have a plan, have a plan B because we've had to go to plan B, C, D, all the way to Z at times, um, even leading up to the launch date. I mean, it was 1130 at night. Uh, it's supposed to come out at midnight, and we were making a couple changes to things because something came in or something we thought was there wasn't, and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're scrambling. So I think my years of, of producing radio shows, that's what I learned, that you know, when you have a plan, expect it to go wrong and expect to have that backup because you're going to need it. And um, Joel mentioned this at the at the kind of beginning of the show, but um, we you know we used to kind of close the podcast out with you know which Andersonville business would you like to trade places with for a day and why, um, but we kind of had switched to this rapid fire um, component during during you know why we've been kind of doing these over Zoom um, to kind of you know make them more personal, but. You know, um, can you both share uh, your favorite business in Andersonville that you'd like to frequent or order from now? Or as, as restrictions are lifting, though, we'll be able to frequent them, though. Stephanie, go ahead. I was going to say you go ahead because I was going to give a different answer because I know oh. what you're going to say. Oh, I mean, when I first moved here, um, my old neighbor said to me, Todd, you're going to love where you live because the best brunch in Chicago is at M. Henry. And I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. I'm, you know, 29, 30 years old. To me, the best brunch is, you know, the ones that have bottomless whatever alcohol. And then I went there and I was like, wait a minute, this is the way an omelet is supposed to taste. So it has, I think two years ago, we actually added up. We went through our credit card statement that comes at the end of the year that lists everything. It was and embarrassing. It, it was embarrassing. And I'm like, and what's funny is that they don't even know who we are. Like we're there all the time. But yet they, they don't know our names, the amount of time and money we've spent there. So my favorite business, number one, it always smells good, even if we're not eating there, to smell those potatoes cooking. Um, it's it's kind of a tease for me. Uh, when I walk through the alley, I'm like, oh. But um, yes, that that is my all-time favorite. And I take everyone there. And now every holiday birthday, someone is getting me, giving me an M. Henry a gift certificate, which I have piled up in the kitchen because they know my love for that place. I agree with Todd. M. Henry is by far my favorite brunch place in the entire city of Chicago. But if I have to do an honorable mention since I let Todd have M. Henry, I would say Bar Roma. I absolutely love their food. 
the atmosphere when you can actually sit inside and we're not in COVID times is also fantastic. They have the best old fashioned. I just love it. And it was, you know, a lot of people ask Todd and I this question throughout our podcasting and our research. Like, are you guys a couple? Are you married? And yes, we are a couple. And Bar Roma was actually one of our first date places. So it kind of holds a special little spot in my heart. <laughs> yes, I agree. And a shout out, uh, honorable mention, I always take people who come to visit to the Galleria. I think it is such a cool little concept. It's always different. And the things that that I always count on being there are there. And then there's always something that I'm like, oh, how come I didn't think of this? And I usually do my Christmas shopping in March there because that's when I'll find something. And I'm like, my brother will love this. I got this incredible, it's a wonderful life, like window. It's like a wooden window display thing from there. And I gave it to my dad because my dad's favorite movie is It's a Wonderful Life. And it's like the best Christmas present I ever gave him. <laughs> I want, um, you know, speaking of Baroma, I really want them to start bottling their sauces that they use. I just want to be able to go like, and just pick that up and just be able to just make my own spaghetti at home and just pour it on there. And their chicken meatball. Have you had that? It's like chicken, lemon, pistachio. Oh my gosh. I've I tried had to it. recreate it's really it. Good. I like, I couldn't do it. It was pathetic compared to what they can do, but that is like the best meatball I've ever had. Obviously we like to eat. So the, <laughs> I mean, that's, that, that, that has been very, very helpful in this neighborhood. Wherever you go, left, right, center, it's there's some place good to go eat and shop. And I've, I've always loved the fact that it is a little town, you know, in this neighborhood and from a shoe store to a grocery store to a Target to whatever. It's all here. And, you know, it's why I've, I've loved living here all these many years. And the amount of places that we've had old fashioned celebratory drinks <laughs> after we've done interviews for the podcast down Clark Street is incredible. Yeah, that could be a <laughs> I, bar crawl. Yeah, I mean, I could I could rate every old fashioned from <laughs> Gethsemane all the way down to Bar Roma, probably. Did we have <laughs> old fashions at the, the garden center? I don't recall that. No, I'm just saying like as a point of interest. Okay. <laughs> Stone Fox, which is now closed. They still owe me a free drink. I won yes. an Instagram contest. She's so upset about this a year later. <laughs> Well, I was on, we have, um, we had an SSA call yesterday for the neighborhood and speaking of crime, um, Joelle, I don't, you weren't on the call, so you didn't hear this, but we learned from another business owner that, um, you know, you mentioned the grocery store. Well, some, someone tried to break into Edgewater Produce through the roof. So wow. they, oh my they gosh. landed, they came in, they got on the roof somehow and tried to cut a hole into the roof and they got in. But because Edgewater Produce was outfitted with security cameras and alarms and motion detectors, those alarms went out, off and, and the person got out and escaped. But how crazy is that? Wow. Like, it's we not, go there like, a I lot, like, too. <laughs> I was like, that's next level Mission Impossible stuff. Yeah. Like, that is and, crazy. Like, who needs that many avocados? Why yeah, would you be robbing a grocery store like late that? Late night pizza cravings. They <laughs> yeah. just really had to. Like, there's a well, jewelry do store have... down the street. Like, why Why is that not the one that you're hitting? I the know. produce store? Right. I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, they do have that, like, extensive Haribo gummy collection, but... <laughs> <laughs> I did once read a Yelp review about Edgewater Produce, which made me laugh. And it said, it's got everything you need from, from produce to, to rotisserie chicken 
to an endless supply of Sade music, which since I read that, I swear every time I'm there, I hear a Sade song and it just makes me laugh all these years later because that was at least 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, it's so true. Um, but yeah, but speaking of of Bryn Mawr Jewelry, the, um, the owner, Scott, uh, is also a Miller Lite fan. So when you had mentioned the the Miller Lite drop-off, <laughs> that's his favorite go-to, go-to beverage. And just while we're uh, wrapping up here, can you remind folks uh, all of the places they should tune in to listen to If the Walls Could Talk? So If the Walls Could Talk is available on any podcast platform. So wherever you listen to it, Google, Spotify, Apple, um, our Instagram is at if the walls could talk podcast. Our Twitter is at if the walls, we have a Facebook group. If you just search, if the walls could talk podcast, you'll find that there. And then our Patreon is patreon.com slash if the walls could talk podcast. And our email is emc at if the walls could talk podcast.com. And a lot of people are, you know, who, worked at Edgewater a little older and not good with technology. And they're like, can I just listen to it on the website? Yes. Yes, you can. There's a little player. If the walls could talk podcast.com. I don't know how I forgot that one. <laughs> More team. I was, I was, I was going to say, you gotta, you gotta get the website in there too. So, well, thank you so, both so much for joining us today. Thank you. This has been great. This has thank been a you. pleasure. Thank you so much. For show notes on today's episode, you can visit andersonville.org. Always Andersonville, the podcast, is produced by the Andersonville Chamber of Commerce and currently recorded via Zoom. We thank you for your listenership. And if you like the podcast, please subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting platform. We are also actively looking for podcast sponsors to sustain our production. Please email us at info at andersonville.org for more information. Thank you for your continued support, for staying active in our community, and for staying always Andersonville.